You're listening to Ask the Expert on Sprott Money News. Well, greetings once again from Sprott Money News and SprottMoney.com. It is July 2019, and this is your Ask the Expert segment for this month. I'm your host, Craig Hemke, and joining us this month is Danielle DiMartino Booth. Many of you may be familiar with Danielle. She was actually an advisor for nine years to the Federal Reserve Bank in Dallas, where she worked as a close advisor to uh, Richard Fisher, the head of the Federal Reserve Bank at the time. Uh, And now she is the CEO and chief strategist of her own company called Quill Intelligence. She's a frequent guest on financial media and expert on the affairs of central banks, and it's a great opportunity to visit with her. So, Danielle, thank you so much for your time. So happy to be here. And for anybody unfamiliar with the Ask the Expert segment, we've been soliciting questions for Danielle through Twitter and through email. So these are actually your questions that I'll be reading to her today. And uh, it's, it's just a great service that Sprott Money provides. And again, besides that, just all of our physical bullion services we have for, for acquiring bullion or storage. Of course, we have a great, our, what we call our super summer sale, which is going on through the end of July. All of this can be found at SprottMoney.com or just simply calling us at 888-861-0775. Danielle, I've got seven questions for you, my friend. Um, if you're ready, I suppose we just dive right in and get to question number one. Let's do this. All right, let's see. The, the, the first question has to do with the dollar, which uh, a lot of folks are looking at as kind of at an inflection point, at least as measured by the dollar index, whether it's going to go up through 100, go down through 95. And there's so much going on, Danielle. Um, you know, we, the, the Fed's talking about rate cuts, the ECB's talking about rate cuts, even. Even President Trump is out there talking about whether the the Fed should or the U.S. should get involved in directly trying to uh, weaken the dollar. So in the end, what what do you think? What uh, will all of this lead to a weaker dollar here in the second half of this year? Or do you think maybe a stronger dollar? Well, see, now, the way you started it out, the ECB, the Bank of Japan, um, that leads me to believe that uh, that leads me to believe that we're going to have a stronger dollar because what you just described uh, in no uncertain terms is a currency war, and that's what it, it, what it appears to be that we're in. Yeah. It, it, would you expect that to if you're looking for that through the end of this year, or I mean, at some point, does the U.S. like Trump well, is saying, does the U.S. respond and try to weaken the dollar? And, and, and there are some very pointed um, news stories out on the wires. Goldman Sachs has, has written about it, um, whether or not we're going to intervene in, in the dollar directly. Uh, Mnuchin's name is being thrown around in this regard. This would certainly be a workaround to President Trump's being dissatisfied with the Fed being aggressive enough. Uh, you know, personally, I, I would not like to see the United States intervening in the dollar market. We've, we, we have circled the globe for multiple administrations, uh, accusing other con- countries here and there of manipulating their currencies. And it's, it's not something that you want to see happening when you hold the reserve currency status. Right. That, that would seem to go against that. You're absolutely right. So in the in long story short, you're pretty bullish on the dollar in that regard, just in everybody else maybe devaluing their currency a little faster. It's, it's simply a matter of relativity. And I keep repeating this because people need to understand that if the ECB is going to cut rates, it's going to cut rates further in the negative territory, which is going to continue to make our treasuries that much more attractive on a relative basis 
you know, given that, look, Greece and our 10-year treasury are trading around the same yield. The same can be said of, of Italy. And we know that these these countries are fiscal cesspools. So we are living in a bizarre world. But again, if it's central banks that are in charge and they're taking their overnight rates deeper into negative territory, we will remain on a relative basis that much more attractive. Sure. All right, let's move on to question number two, and this has to do with the EU. And so we're kind of in the same area here. Um, the second question is basically when an EU country publishes its annual budget, it reveals its national debt. But does that published number include the EU country's share of the total EU debt? Or would any EU country that chose to leave the EU receive a rather shocking, you know, parting gift uh, from their friends? Well, you know, that is something that certainly remains to be seen. Um, I actually don't know the answer to that question. But what I would say is that Christine Lagarde, who's just stepped down from the IMF, formally resigned, um, that that she is being placed, uh, hopefully, if, if she gets approved into the European Central Bank for the specific reason of introducing, uh, in my view, a euro bond and trying to make the debt of Europe that much more cohesive to the outside world to protect the sanctity of the euro standing. Uh, but if I was a country like like Italy and decided to just go off and say, we're going back to the lira, given the sheer amount of, of, of money that the, the country owes, it would be a suicide mission at best. Yeah, yeah, you're no doubt about that. Okay, uh, Daniel, let's move on to the third question. Uh, it, you know, we're getting these kind of cross currents at present in the U.S., uh, whether uh, the economy is strengthening or weakening. It seems like one day brings a good data point, the next day brings a bad data point. If you look across the board, though, at the U.S., is there any one sector that you feel is, uh, I guess, kind of feeling the most stress at this point? Well, I think without a doubt that we've seen that the transportation sector, the industrial sector, come under tremendous amounts of pressure here uh, in the first half of this year. One of the indicators that I follow the most closely is the CAS freight index, and it has been down seven months in a row on a year-over-year basis, and they have declared that, uh, that Q2 is definitely at risk, if not Q3, of the U.S. entering a recession, and that those are their words not mine. So I, I think that the the sheer amount of panic buying that propelled economic growth in the last half of 2018, that the backlash is is coming in the form of companies sitting on 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 uh, inventory that they stockpiled that they don't have the demand uh, to sell. So these are some these are some really thorny issues, and that's why we're seeing such a divergence between a strong consumer, uh, some of which is, is attributable to credit card spending being really going through the roof these last few months. But we're seeing that divergence between a strong consumer and a, a quickly crippling industrial transportation sector. And that is something that is being played out in the current earnings season for, for the second quarter as well. I hear you. All right, let's let's move on to the next question because I, th- I find this one interesting and I can't wait to get your opinion on it. Um, and it has to do with, I guess we'll call it unfunded, underfunded liabilities, uh, but at both the private and the public level, pension plans and the like. Uh, the, the questioner came from Canada and wanted to know about uh, Canadian employer and employer-sponsored uh, plans and what will happen if the financial system starts to struggle. 
but I think this applies to the U.S. as well. Uh, I, do you think there will be austerity packages that will be forced, everybody will be forced to accept? Or is it, are we headed down the path of, you know, like a, a modern monetary theory where we just print a whole bunch of money and, and, and pay it out to folks? You know, these are, the, these are some of the most difficult and, and challenging issues, I think, that, that face the country. You've seen so many reports that, that incredibly show that despite the massive uh, rally that we've seen in the stock market in recent years, that pensions are just now getting back the losses that were sustained during the financial crisis, which leads one to believe that you know, if, the, if the Federal Reserve cannot levitate the markets indefinitely, and there's certainly a lot of hopium out there that, that they can, but if that is not to be the case, uh, then I think that there's tremendous risk that these are some issues that will go in front of the Supreme Court of the United States eventually, mm-hmm. because constitutionally speaking, there is no avenue for a state to declare bankruptcy at all. I think we will see many other municipalities, cities, uh, declare bankruptcy and that there will be forced haircuts in that sense uh, to retirees and pensioners. But we have bigger problems than that when you consider the, the, the state of pension financing in, in places such as Illinois, Connecticut, New Jersey. Yeah. I, in the end, I, what's your gut tell you? I mean, is it a forced austerity kind of thing or is it just we're just going to try to keep uh, inflating along and, and we'll just cover those obligations with additional money creation? Well, additional money creation works until it doesn't. Yeah. So it's not a question that I can answer because it's it's theoretical in nature and you know it it it, it intends it, excuse me it it involves the rest of the world going along with yeah our printing money to kingdom come and I can't speak for the the likes of authorities in China and whether or not they uh, they would be willing to allow that type of degradation future degradation to the, the currency of the United States and some of the treasuries that they hold. And these are, again, these are, this is uncharted territory. Yeah. And I think that the MMT crowd will look indeed, as long as inflation remains contained, that the MMT crowd will continue to clamor for uh, things such as pension relief, student loan relief, anything else you could print money to, to relieve, uh, to, to satisfy the masses. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. That's for sure. All right, uh, Danielle, question five, I think, is a, is, is a fun one as well. I know you're on uh, Twitter quite a bit, and I am as well, and, and there's always great debates there. And one of them is uh, the source of the income and wealth inequality that seems to be widening all the time, politicians talking about it all the time. And there's a large group of people that think the central banks and their policies have, have kind of worsened that situation. And a lot of folks just think it's... Uh, the uh, whether it's capitalism versus socialism, that kind of thing. Um, what are your thoughts uh, about income? I mean, we all see the the charts and the graphs that show the income disparity and the wealth disparity growing. Do you think that's a central banking problem or is that a uh, economic structure problem? I think it is a combination of the two. Uh, there's there's no doubt in the world that the education system in the United States has left behind increasing cohorts of, of publicly public school educated children. And I think that this is something that started in the seventies and the eighties getting really worse and worse. And when you add the, uh, when you add monetary policy, central banking into that equation, the only thing that it has done is make a very bad situation that much worse. Mm. 
when you look at the long history of, of economic expansions since the Greenspan era, when he began intervening in markets to the benefit of Wall Street and the detriment of Main Street, we have seen each economic uh, expansion come in at increasingly paltry lower and lower levels. And I think that that aspect is directly attributable to central banking policy and the, the huge toll that it's taken on productivity. Uh, because if you can financialize anything, whether it be subprime home loans and, you know, four out of 10 Americans being tied to the to the real estate industry, which is non-productive in nature in, in, in the run-up to, to the financial crisis, or everybody and their dog wanting to work for either a monopoly in the United States or somewhere in, in the world of finance in the current one. And, and all we, what do we necessarily have to show for it? Not a whole heck of a lot. The most anemic economic growth, despite the fact that it's the longest economic expansion in U.S. history, it's also been the weakest. So I think that all of these things have exacerbated and widened the inequality divide that began with the breakdown of public education in the United States and was exacerbated by the Federal Reserve. Yeah, very interesting. All right, Danielle, I've just got two questions to go, and uh, and, and I think this next one is, is right in your wheelhouse. I, I had you on my site, TF Metals Report, uh, maybe 90 days ago, and we were talking about this shift in Fed policy, and you mentioned that what really freaked the Fed out was uh, kind of a run on credit and a loss of faith in companies like General Motors and the rest back last fall, and that's what got the stock market rolling and everything else. Anyway, the questioner said, I've seen that and had noticed that in several interviews as well, that the cause of the Powell pivot you'd mentioned going from hawkish to dovish is due to these credit issues, uh, specifically the credit spreads, credit availability, falling price of junk bonds, stuff like that. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Are you still thinking that's a, a key driver? Oh, I, I absolutely do. We've seen uh, junk bond spreads come back in since the Powell pivot. Um, we've seen that, that to an even greater degree since what I call the Powell pirouette, which was uh, uh, the occasion of uh, June the 4th speech he gave six months to the day after he first pivoted, where he first indicated that there might be a rate cut in the works. It, it was the General Electric downgrade of uh, of Halloween of last year that, that really put the credit markets in a frozen state and and scared the daylights out of Jay Powell, and that triggered the, the Powell pivot of January the fourth. And since then, we've seen um, we've seen high yield credit spreads, which is your biggest tell, come in. Uh, we we've not seen that in the riskiest area, which would be triple C rated bonds, which are one notch above defaulting. It's interesting that we continue to see stress. So market market players, investors are not completely convinced uh, that Fed policy alone will keep the credit volatility genie in her bottle. And to me, that remains the greater risk to financial markets, to risky assets in general. And we've just gotten out an Institute of Interna International Finance uh, report that brand new fresh data that shows that, that non-financial corporate debt in this country is up to 75% of GDP. That's an all-time record. So country co companies continue to gorge themselves on credit, and this will remain, I think, the the number one threat to the financial system that would bleed through into the stock market, not the stock market bleeding into the credit market. One leads the other, and always remember that you have to follow credit the most closely. Look up Google, Merrill Lynch's Move Index. That's a lot more important to follow, in my view, than the VIX. 
And so when you see the, you know, the, these data points come out on a daily basis and the argument, well, how can the Fed even think about cutting, look at the jobs report, that kind of thing, maybe it really doesn't have anything to do with that at all, according to what you're saying. Well, no, I, I, I don't think it – the Fed is data dependent, but the Fed is much more dependent on, on the credit markets uh, being well-behaved, staying well-behaved, and, and that risk being contained. And I think people need – to understand that, I like to throw one data point out there, and that is that 63% of all uh, recessions in in this country have involved expanding consumption. So people hmm. need to realize that that there are many. The last two downturns that we've uh, entered, the last two recessions, have been the result of a financial market event. Not necessarily that of, uh, of of an economic data point surprising to the downside. Uh, back before the Powell pivot, last summer's Jackson Hole, in fact, Jay Powell made an entire speech and talked about the fact that the Federal Reserve must be aware of risks emanating from financial markets because he himself cited the fact that the last two recessions had been triggered by a financial event. Yeah. Can, can I just add on one extra question to that, Danielle? Is the yield curve? Uh, do you think uh, the heads of the Fed pay much attention? I mean, historically, it, it's been a precursor when it inverts a precursor recession. Do you think they pay much attention to that? Because it's a pretty steep inversion right now. Well, I think that they they don't like to talk up the yield curve because they're not in the business of fear mongering mm-hmm. by design. It's, it's, it's their obligation to try and keep things calm. Because, again, go back to credit and the high stakes. Uh, But there are a few Fed speakers who have spoken about the yield curve. And the most important thing to bear in mind when it comes to the yield curve is not that it inverts for a moment in time and not even necessarily the depth of the inversion, though that that does matter. But it is much more the persistence of the yield curve. And once we passed the 32, 33-day trading uh, 33 trading days level of the three-month tenure curve being inverted, that was enough to push up the, Fed, the New York Federal Reserve's recession probability index to the highest level since the last time we were in recession. So yield curves matter, and whether or not they're public in acknowledging how closely it's monitored, I certainly think that that is something that officials at the Federal Reserve pay close attention to. Yeah. All right. Lastly, Danielle, uh, I think this is kind of a interesting, almost kind of fun question to kind of bounce around and theoretically uh, consider. It has to do with you know, whether, I guess, an alternative local monetary system would ever be uh, developed or allowed. The, the specific question just said, what are Danielle's thoughts on encouraging some form of system where People in local communities can trade, exchange their time, barter goods and services together using some type of alternative coinage. This person suggested silver bullion. Um, do you think that could be, I mean, how would you tax something like that, you know, comes to mind? What do you think of the possibilities of something like that? Well, I mean, you're kind of sort of talking about the end of the world-ish. <laughs> yeah, um, kind of, yeah. So, I mean, it's, 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 again, these are... It's a viable question, and it's certainly something we think about. And there are plenty of people, including wealthy people, by the way, who have built themselves bunkers in case something like this is is to come to pass. Um, 
But I think that an eventuality such as this would involve something much greater than a currency war and much closer to an actual hot war where where lives were on the line and it, it would be kind of the aftermath, if you will. We, there, there would be, well, there wouldn't be any TVs anymore, would there? Yeah. There wouldn't be much in that kind of a world, but there would be stories told after of, of kind of the breakdown in the country of, uh, of, of, of the social fabric following the loss of reserve currency status. That's the only way that I could see something like that playing out. Um, but it, it, it's such a deep hypothetical. I just, I couldn't even envision how that would, how that would operate. Yeah. Yeah. Danielle, I got to thank you. It's always so fascinating to, to get your perspective. Can you just take a quick second and tell everybody about Quill Intelligence and, and what that's about? Uh, absolutely. Uh, we, we published what's called the Daily Feather, four and a half, five minute read on the latest things that we're seeing in the financial markets, monetary policy uh, and the economic data. And that is that is a, a lower price point product. And then for over four years now, consistently, every Wednesday, I've published the weekly Quill. Uh, so head on to the website, quillintelligence.com. We have said and we are accomplishing, launching a research revolution. We've got a hashtag, hashtag research revolution. Check out the website and follow me on Twitter because, as you know, there's nothing boring about being on at DiMartino Booth's feed. Right. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. Well, thank you, Danielle. Really, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Your, your, yours as well. Take care. And from all of us at Sprott Money News and SprottMoney.com, thank you for listening. We'll have another Ask the Expert segment next month.